Hello to everybody playing a harmonica with their nose. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here. It's Beautiful Anonymous. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing, supporting the show. And this episode, you're about to hear. I, I love it. I love it. It's got three topics, and I, 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 all of them I found fascinating. One, a lot of people are going to flip out because this guy is the owner of an influencer dog. And every, I know so many people who listen to this show love dogs. You're going to love hearing about this dog. Sure, many people are gonna go track down this dog. Don't tell me about it, because Anonymous is in the name of the show. So don't you need to go see the influencer dog. Don't out this guy to me or anybody else. Respect the show. A lot of what we talk about, pretty fascinating topic. What's it like to uh have a relationship fall apart due to infidelity? That's just such a human thing. Just such a human topic, and uh we really get into it. And then Last but not least, comes up at the end, and I want to call this out. Sorry for the spoiler. He talks about how he used to ride the rails. He used to hop freight trains, and that's something that's always fascinated me. And I just want to say, if you're out there and you're a rail rider and you've lived that lifestyle too, I would love to have a full hour. I I rarely just go fishing for actual full-on topics, but if you are someone who has lived that classic riding the rails, dare I say hobo lifestyle, you, hear, you will hear how excited I get when it comes up in this call, and I'd love to talk more about it with anybody else out there. Anyway, this call's got a lot going for it. Uh, a charming, nice guy with a lot to say. Enjoy it. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? No way. Is this? I gotta say it. I gotta say it. Is this Chris? What if I said no? What if I was like, no, it's not? How would you react? <laughs> I, uh, I would be, uh, I'm so shocked that I'm, I made it through. How are you, man? Uh, how am I? I would say I'm dancing on the precipice of a major depressive episode, as a doctor recently told me, but by and large, good. Outside of oh that, good. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know me, rolling with the punches of life, wondering what the point is, but also enjoying myself. How are you? I I can I can, yeah I can I can uh, relate to that. This has been a very bizarre last couple of weeks, and I'm still kind of reeling from all of it. Um, I can't say I've been heading into. Uh, you know, a, a depressive episode soon. So I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I will say I've been following your Twitter and the amount of really just seems like you have such an exciting life on at least via Twitter. There's so much going on. And between the cable access and LA, man, I mean, if there's ever been a time that it sounds like your career is kind of exploding, this, this is it. Wow. I'm amazed that's your perception from the outside because I am filled with constant daily fear that my career is uh, is is uh, slowing down more than it ever has in the same year that my son has come to life. But I'm happy to hear from the outside it looks good. That, that's reassuring. Thank you for that. Chris, I will say you have an incredible ability to uh, <laughs> hold space for people to do really big things. 
And I feel like that cable access show might be, you know, one of the ways that you're, you're able to do that. And that's a really exciting kind of thing, even if it is just cable access. It's not worth not worth being down about. Oh, no. I, it's really, uh, you, you were talking, of course, about Chris Gather Presents on New York Public Access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very yeah. proud of it. I feel like a lot of comedians get to go out there and uh, shine and do their thing. So I'm really proud of it, and thank you for it's wild. plugging it. Yeah, thanks. It is wild, man. It is fun. It has been fun to watch it. That's good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. We're doing some cool stuff, everybody. Check it out. Now, we've I made it about me. I've been able to mope for a solid two minutes. You said you've had a crazy couple weeks. I want to hear about this. Chris, it's been, it's been nuts. So um, I had a rough last couple of years. And one of the reasons that that had happened was I started dating this woman. And this woman, uh, about three years ago, she actually started to cheat on me and didn't tell me about it. And almost two years went by, and I found out after two years, which up to, it just completely flipped my world upside down. So I ended up um, in a really just kind of brutal year. Just had a really emotionally rough year and ended up in therapy, and it was probably the most helpful catalyst I could have ever imagined to get back on things. And ever since, January, there's just been this whole kind of series of events that have led up to what feels like this phone call with you, to be honest. I just can't even believe I'm on here right now. And uh, things have just been kind of on the upswing. So recently, I have a dog, and this dog is a very good boy. I know you've been debated about potentially getting an animal, and you better believe I'm on the, uh, in the same camp as your lady. Let's get you a dog. Um, but my dog ended up getting a little bit Instagram famous and then it became local famous and now he's getting a little bit of national attention and it's just a dog. I mean, he's a really good dog, but over the last couple of weeks, there's been these different venues that have reached out to us about abilities that he has of jumping over stuff and doing kind of urban parkour. And, um, that's just completely <laughs> taken over my last two weeks is trying to act as the, the, uh, ad and, um, sales guy, my being the agent for this four legged furry dog who has no idea what's going on while he eats snacks and dog farts on my feet. So you've been having a rough patch of it. Now you got a celebrity dog. Now, when you say sales guy and agent, I'm not sure how much you're being hyperbolic, or are you are you already making money off this dog? No, not yet. I'd love to. I just think it's such a ridiculous thing. Like I've done almost nothing except for put up some posts, and then people share it, and it slowly gets bigger. So I'm thinking in the next little while here, like in the next twelve months, it's not going to be unreasonable to start tagging him and bagging him for some ads on his on his social media venues. Yeah, be Get a, us some free dog CBD, baby. Influencer. So, and what happens? So you put something up on Instagram, it starts to spread there, and what, does it start to show up on, like, Reddit and things like that? I know that's a site where a, a, a meme is known to pop off from time to time. We did. I We did have something in Reddit. We're talking, uh, like, the local newspaper had picked it up, which was kind of a mind blow. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, another bigger city in the area 
started to pick the info up. And then from there, a large national magazine has approached us about doing a piece on them. It's really strange, man. And of all the venues that you think you would, you know, be celebrated for or, like, feel like you you have worked really hard on, I have a great relationship with my dog, and we've worked really hard together, but I was just not not at all where I thought some of that, so much positivity would come from. So it's been interesting to share that and explore that with a, a little mute little dog. Little mellow, quiet little animal. Wow. And is it very, very strange? Is it to the point where, like, when you walk down the street with the dog now, do people know the dog? Yes. It's so <laughs> strange. <laughs> Just yesterday, we're walking around on a pretty large university campus, and wait, hold on one second, because you're you know. sometimes you're speaking and it's totally clear, and then sometimes you're shushing only like this. So if there's a place you can go oh. that. Avoids that. It oh will just God. make less people feel like they're hallucinating during the course of this call. <laughs> I don't want to trip anyone out unnecessarily. All right, I've, I've come up and I'm sitting in my car. So I've, left my, I've left my home and now I'm sitting in the car. Okay. So I, hope this, I hope this works. All right. I'll just let you know. So you're saying you're, on a, you're in a university town and people know the dog already? Yeah, so we used to live in a university town, and then we moved to the bigger city that was nearby. People recognize the dogs. They'll yell at them from across the street. I had one girl run up on us, and she just, you know, was so excited to meet him. She asked him, uh, she asked me, does he, does he shake? And I said, yes, he does shake. So I had him sit and, you know, had him shake, and she reached out and shook his hand as though he was like, a, uh, you know, a famous, a famous person. Just shook his hand and said, it's, "Oh, it's so nice to meet you." And I was just looking at him like, "Who's the dog?" Okay, wait. We have to pause. Your connection is getting worse. Your connection is getting worse and worse. And I got to hear about the celebrity I'm dog. Not, I'm not sure what else to do. It looks like I have full bars, and you guys are coming in. Are you on? Are you on like headphones or something? No, 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 not at all. I actually have my phone right up, right up to my head. I wonder, I don't know if I could drive any, anywhere. I'm actually right next to the cell phone tower. Does it still sound terrible? <laughs> Hold on. Jared's uh, typing some stuff out. He's asking if you can Jared. change how the phone is oriented to your face. Yeah, I could try speaker. Does this sound better? Keep talking a little bit. We'll sort this bad boy out. Um, yeah. So... Uh, got this celebrity dog, and he's just been kind of leading the way. He actually, I just tell people he takes me on walks now. Okay, I think it sounds better for now. I'll let you know if we have more issues. Sorry to cut you off like that. I just want to hear about this (laughs) celebrity dog situation. You're you're good. I appreciate that. All right, Jared's... Yeah, I think we'll go with this. Jared's saying if you have wired headphones without a mic, that's enough. But I think this sounds good. I think we're good. For now. Okay. We'll see. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah, we can so ride that pick way. It back up. So, so when, you, when you are someone who has... Um, when you're someone who has been cheated on, it's traumatic. It went on for years. I'm sure that this puts you in a place where you're maybe not out and about, and then and then you have ladies stopping you 
to uh, shake your dog's hand. Is there any part of you that's like, man, this dog is going to bring me back to the dating scene, man? Truly. Truly. He's been the catalyst for for some pretty amazing things as well. Now, I live, I'm going to give myself away a little bit. I do live in a very mountainous state, so there's only so many options. But one of the things that I started doing after the experience with this partner was I just needed to get out of the house and move my body. And I always loved climbing mountains. So where I live, there's a ton of them. And what I started trying to do was climb all of the highest ones. So I'll just say it. I'm in Colorado. And in Colorado, we have what's called 13ers and 14ers. And 13ers are mountains between 13,000 and 13,999. And 14ers are mountains that are over 14,000 feet. And so I started climbing these peaks, and my dog and I climbed all of the 14ers. There are 58 of them, and he was able to do 50. So I always wanted to just kind of go on these big adventures with him. But being able to bring him along was so cathartic, and it helped me pace and be a lot more mindful about, you know, which route I was choosing and if the choices I was making were smart or healthy or if they were going to be too dangerous for him to navigate around. And now we're working on climbing all of the 13,000-foot peaks in the state. And uh, just, you know, he's starting to get a little older. Yeah. Chris, and he's starting to slow down. And he's a little bit bit more of a diva. The fame might be going to his head. Who knows? That's true. That's true. I actually never considered that. Maybe he's like, man, this guy's getting old. I got to slow down for his ass. Where he's like, Sorry, Seth. maybe you should carry me up the mountain, dude. I'm the star here. Pamper me. <laughs> I like that idea. I would not be opposed to it. You know, if he fakes like a, like a foot injury, I would sling him <laughs> over my shoulders faster than a star. Now, so I... this. Sometimes it's it's very uh sometimes when I sort of sum things up in a sentence it it really tickles me and I'm not saying that your what you went through tickles me but the idea that you you're basically saying you were cheated on for 2 years it was traumatic and the way you've bounced back is you climbed 50 mountains with your dog that's pretty cool yeah. that's a pretty cool way to sum it up Thanks man yeah that's I guess it's kind of a crazy thing to share um, yeah, it was, it was, an, it's been amazing. It's been a really amazing, and if it wasn't for, you know, this dog, I felt like, you know, I've, he's a breed where if you don't run him and you don't work him constantly, um, I know there was a prior, uh, there was a prior caller that was making a pitch to you. I believe it was like a, they were throwing out a, a dog breed like Weimariner maybe, or maybe it was like Greyhounds, and they had described it as, that breed being kind of like a cat, like pretty chill. Yes. And Greyhounds were recommended to me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This dog is the opposite, like not chill and doesn't necessarily hang around. So I got to take him out for a solid like four to four to eight miles a day. Now, what so kind of dog is that? Because that's I don't want that dog. What kind of dog do you have to walk no, eight Chris, miles a day with the dog? <laughs> you don't want this dog. You don't want this dog, man. Um he is a excuse me, blue healer and uh, collie mix. 
He's got those hurting tendencies, you know? Like, he loves to nip and run and small bursts of energy. So it's really great for the mountains. And that was a way for us to get up there and really explore deep in the mountains and with a little four-legged partner who could actually keep up and give me a run for my money as well. And I, so I've never heard of a blue healer. My mother-in-law had a border collie, and this dog, it needed a lot, like you said, but it was also super smart, and it was pretty cool. So is this, you're walking up the mountain, and if, like, a bunch of rocks skitter, does it go and try to, like, push all the rocks into one corner and then stare at them to make sure they don't move again? <laughs> he definitely lets me know whenever there's something that he can't get up, which has always been interesting. Like, he's got a, a pretty bizarrely large vocabulary of, uh, of different words that he knows. So when we're up in the mountains, it's kind of at the point where I can say up or stay or uh, cliff or lock. And all mm-hmm. of those mean different things in different contexts. So we'll be climbing up some really intense wall, kind of a head wall with a series of cliffs that are about as tall as like, you know, a person five, six to six foot. So I got to get him up on a ledge and then I got to crawl up myself to make sure he doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't do anything. He's not going to leap off the edge or roll any rocks or chase after any mountain goats. And so the two of us will kind of slowly work our way up over, you know, these different obstacles. And he's just really been pretty amazing to work with because it's my first dog and my only (laughs) dog. Never had any pets growing up. So it's felt like this really kind of intimate, um, intense experience while we've been exploring these places together. Now, hold on. So I also... Oh, no, you finish your thought. Finish your thought. What was that? To be one more vote for a greyhound for you. I think that would be a really amazing dog Who knows? for your fam. So Who I'm knows? just going to jump on the dog pile. We'll see. Say, you know, maybe, maybe it's worth looking at. Jump on the dog pile. Well done with the pun, sir. Listen, so uh, you, had, you told me you were going up these mountains with dogs. And in my mind, I'm thinking that this must mean that these are mountains that have like paths where you can just sort of grab a hiking stick and go up to the peak with your dog. Like there's pre-established trails. From what you just described about all these commands and running into loose mountain goats and cliffs, this sounds more like you're actually climbing mountains, like like in that Colorado way. Totally. It's totally that. There's a lot of mountains that are much easier as far as, you know, you just have some hiking poles and they're beautiful rolling meadows of grasses. Um, but there's a lot. You know, there's a there's a point where you get over a hundred mountains, and those things just feel so boring after a while. Like you just want anything to scramble over, or a cliff to look off of, or some wind to pick up, <laughs> and kind of anything to happen up there. So the more exciting adventures that we look forward to now are the mountains that are definitely a little more a little more serious. And there's a point where you just can't take a dog on some route. <laughs> and it's just too scary. <laughs> but you're I out think there for the most part. You're out there. It's like able to handle it. you're doing like free solo with your dog. It's like free solo with the dog. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh man, oh my gosh, there is some dogs, and I know in the state that there was one dog who recently did all of the fourteeners, and there's eight that. I mean, you got to rope your dog up. And you got to drag them up the side of a little of a couple of drops that are pretty severe. You've done that, and uh, I know there's dogs out there that have done that. My dog has not done that. This is not the Alex Honnold of 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 uh, of mountain climbing of dogs. That in movie, my, in my possession. I've always heights are not my thing. They never have been. No, 
And whenever yeah, I've seen a movie, I like when, when when you see like these Mission Impossibles and Tom Cruise is scaling that building in Dubai and then they have these overhead shots and you know this lunatic actually did it and he's actually out there on the side of this building. I like am filled with like, I don't, I just start like grabbing my armrests and I want to crawl out of my skin. <laughs> my wife saw Free Solo. She told me how amazing it was. And then she told me what it was about. I guess like, I can't watch this guy fall off the side of a mountain. It'll, it'll be just two hours of me being tense. But you know what I did? I was on a flight cross country and I saw they had it on there. And I was like, that's the way I can watch Free Solo on a tiny, awful plane, airplane <laughs> oh, screen. No. Because that way it won't have that like HD in the theater effect. It'll just be this. Yeah, they got the 3D and they got you sweat bullets. And the sound system all making it all intense. I'm like, no, I'll watch it on the four inch across (laughs) plane screen. That way I can get the story, see what it's about. But I won't have that effect, that vertigo effect. It was ideal for me. There's people who strap their dogs into harnesses and hoist them up the side of a mountain. There's people who do that. Oh, yeah. And they're, it's far crazier than, wait, so did you end up seeing Free Solo on the airplane? I did. I watched Free Solo on an airplane and it was great, but I was so happy that I didn't have to sit there and I was still like sweating through my clothes with fear, uh, but it wasn't the same <laughs> as when you're in one of these, these uh, IMAX things and you feel like you're going to slide down the front of a mountain just because this guy decides he can't use a harness like a reasonable human being. I, I will say when I saw it, there was only two other people in the theater and one of them was sitting right next to me and it was a person I was seeing and the other person was about five rows back and at the at the point where he gets to the boulder problem and you know what I'm talking about because that's where he does that little that little leap in the middle of the wall that's super, super precarious. Yes. He's never done it before and all these things. The guy behind us, I realized he's not only out of his seat, but he's he's heavily pacing back and forth, rubbing his hands together. So in the in the darkness of the theater, we kind of turned around. We just saw this guy having a a tiny meltdown about four rows back, taking it all in. Yeah, it's too much. <laughs> that, completely that, melting down watching <laughs> that movie, Free Solo. It showed every fundamental difference between my wife and I. It just exposed every. <laughs> single difference. I watch this. She watches this movie. She comes home. She's like, it's this inspiring tale of this guy tapping into everything within the human <laughs> spirit to overcome uh, mental and physical obstacles. She's all inspired. I came home. I'm like, this selfish asshole, he's got something to prove. <laughs> So he's got to go up a thing. And now everybody who's trying to just enjoy their day in the national park might have to watch this guy just eat it and die. Because he needs attention. <laughs> Every aspect of our differences in life we're exposed. Man, was there anything that surprised you about like when she came back and described it? No. That you were like, what are you even talking? Like, did we even see the same film? Well, she saw it first. She saw it first. So I had heard her. She, she was loving it. She was really gushing about it. And I understand why. But also my wife, you know, her job, uh, you know, she she's badass. She was a professional aerialist for many years. Like she was effectively like a professional athlete and acrobat who expressed it through dance. So she's like, that was her job to fly down from the sky in a giant warehouse space and like do backflips in front of people as part of these crazy experimental shows. So 
that's her life and that's her mentality. And me, I stay firmly planted on the ground in all areas of life. I, I don't take many physical <laughs> risks. I'm more the type of person to take a severe emotional risk publicly and then sit in the aftermath of that for years. That's me. But I'll stay yeah. on the ground while I emotionally <laughs> destroy myself for, uh, for the public consumption. <laughs> Thank you very much. And what a good time to pause for an ad break. Because I think if you've, if you've listened to this show, even in passing, I think you'd agree. I just summed myself up pretty well. I'm a guy who likes to stay firmly planted on the ground while I emotionally destroy myself. That should be on my tombstone, ladies and gents. Anyway, check out the ads. We'll be right back. Thanks so much to all of our advertisers. Now let's get back to the conversation. That's me. But I'll stay yeah. on the ground while I emotionally destroy myself for, uh, for the public consumption. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, can I ask you that, some hard... That is, that is a substantial difference. That I, is a big difference. Yes. Now, we're 20 minutes in. We've talked a lot about your dog. Okay. The celebrity dog. I want to hear more about that. Dog parkour, climbing mountains. I do want to ask if it's okay. All of this seems to be rooted in this relationship that I have to imagine when you're, when you're dating someone, you said you dated for three years and found out that for two of those years, she'd been cheating. I do want to hear a yeah. little bit about that experience. Cause I would imagine that that's uh that's got to fundamentally sort of shift your relationship with the world and how you trust people and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was truly mind blowing. Um, one of the most helpful things in therapy that we had done was my therapist who is wonderful. And y'all, if you, if you haven't gone to therapy yet, you don't need a reason. Just go. It's incredible. If you're in a place where that can happen, a PSA for therapy is amazing. But the most helpful activity that, um, she had me do was write out a giant, just get a huge piece of paper and write out a timeline of all the things that I thought had happened based on the lies that I was told. And then we kind of walked back through the last two years and a lot of significant events and what was actually happening or lies that I was told. And I think the most staggering piece of it was the web of lies that my partner or my ex-partner had created. It was really so elaborate. Um, one example was to not go on a date or see me one weekend, she made up an excuse that she, that her grandpa had died and that she had to go to this military funeral for him. Now I'll say there's only a handful of places where you can be buried in a military, uh, um, grave site. And there, you know, certain spots around the country. And one of them is, I don't believe in Colorado and certainly not in the small town that she had mentioned and um instead of just telling me what was going on instead uh i made this whole dinner and got all dressed up and we had all these plans and just very much ended up uh just getting completely ghosted and then getting a text about five hours later saying hey my grandpa had died and um, I'm with the family, and she gave me all these details that were so hyper specific. It was things like, you know, how my how her mom looked at the funeral, what food they ate, and it turns out that none of that had happened at all. 
and she was actually out on a date with somebody from like a dating app that evening in town about two miles away from me um, while that was happening and she continued to string me along. Wow. So it really has has shifted how I how I've dated and how I've interacted with people and how I've felt about myself within a relationship dynamic. Um, it's been really bizarre and really uh, deep the levels at which I have gone to kind of rebuild myself and rebuild my identity and kind of decide very specifically what I do and do not want in a relationship. So she, it sounds like, so it's not like she was like having an affair with one other person. It was, this was a habitual. Oh, it was oh wow. Yeah, it was many. I believe, I, I believe the final count that she told me was over 20 people. So it's not even like, it was almost like she was maybe addicted to the thrill of being with new people, but wanted the safety of, um, you know, having that emotional support with me. And I was just so deeply in love with this person that it was, it, I just would have, you know, I would have believed anything she told me. And in a lot of ways I did. I just kind of, you know, and I'm very much somebody who thrives one-on-one -on -one and feels my strongest in a monogamous relationship. And it was very clear after all that, that those are not things that that person values. And it's something that I really ended up doubling down on and, feeling really um, more serious about as far as, you know, I really need those things. I need monogamy and need honesty and need communication. And, you know, of course those are things that are on any list, but now I know that in a way that, you know, it's not just words. It's just a, a true need and a requirement for me to be comfortable in a relationship. How'd you find out? How did it all finally come to light? Oh, that was a dirty story. That was a, Bad. That was just an unfortunate situation. So I had several friends that were on an, on different uh, dating apps, and I got a couple screenshots over the course of a couple days where she actually ended up messaging with one of the people um, that I'm friends with, and uh, the messages were very forward. We'll put it that way from her end of wanting to meet up and wanting to hang out, and she didn't know that he was one of my friends. So he sent me some screenshots, and I kind of started to put things together and it all came to a head and blew up. Wow. So she's, she's on there. It's her picture on the app. She's in the local area. She's not going yeah. far. So, yeah. it, so wow. And then yeah. she finally all encounters a friend and your friend sees the picture and is like, what the hell is this? I know this person. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. All of that. It was pretty mind blowing. Ooh. So I think, um, between just like the, the trauma of just, starting to realize how many of these like really elaborate lies were not true and walking through the um yeah the last two years just with this completely different light it was you know so that that original activity i was telling you about as far as like putting up a timeline of what i thought was true and a timeline of what was objectively like empirically in the world what was happening was just such a uh paradigm shift it was like all these things that i had been convinced were real were not real and all these things that I've been convinced were not real were real and so many things had flipped upside down that I just I mean I I just was a mess for a solid year after that and living alone was not helpful I was really glad to kind of move out of that situation and try out something new 
Um, and actually, you know what I did was I, I finally, about nine months later, decided that I'd always wanted to try living in a tiny home slash maybe a van slash maybe a camper. And so after this, after this healing had begun, I sold everything I owned um, for the second time in my life. And I moved into uh, a tiny camper on the back of a gigantic, gigantic truck. That is so that a, was my answer. Strikingly uh, Colorado yeah. way to deal with this. A very Colorado way to deal with your situation. And, and can, can I tell you, Chris, don't do it. It was, <laughs> like, it was the fucking worst. I hate it. <laughs> Man, it was bad. I hated it. I really? Hated everything about it. I had space. My dog had no space. I like to do art. <laughs> Couldn't do art. I like to do yoga. Couldn't do yoga. I like to be warm. Couldn't warm up. And I'm about as mechanical as a pickle. So, like, I when stuff broke, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just a terrible. It was a long, dark, cold-ass six, no, seven months. So for anybody out there who has this vision of living like the uh, Alexander Supertramp into the wildlife, you're saying thumbs down. One star. Instagram is just marketing. Just remember that. It's all a dirty lie. You're still pooping in a bucket every morning. <laughs> How long were you living in a camper pooping in a bucket? Seven months. <laughs> and through Let me also add the caveat. My dumbass ended up getting into this camper situation with like the tail end of some depression, but also early winter. Like we're talking <laughs> in Colorado. You know, Colorado and the, yeah. And like, you know, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in the largest city. So go figure. We don't get as nearly as much snow as the mountains do, but man, it gets, it gets cold. It's cold here in the winter. And I had a battery die on the third night. And boy, I tell you, I couldn't buy enough propane. There wasn't enough propane to heat me up <laughs> in the world. So that the, I was me and me and my dog spooning under a layer of synthetic sleeping bags, just looking deep into each other's eyes and whispering, "Why, why?" Well, I'm glad we're laughing about it now. But that so three days into this effort to live this romantic off the grid life to heal your wounds, heal your heartbreak. Three nights in, you're like cuddling with your dog going, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. And I was like actually staying right outside of the place where I used to live <laughs> because it's on a road that's pretty kind of industrial. So there's warehouses and there was other, they're called boondockers. So people who are in town not paying for resources living out of their camper. There was other camper livers and van dwellers on the street. And I remember thinking, like, well, that will be an easy segue because I'm familiar with the area. It sucked. It was the worst. And we were just freezing, freezing, freezing. And even on the nice days, man, I'll tell you, it's just not a comfortable lifestyle. It gives you a lot of access to drive around and travel and, you know, have your home with you. But if you're not willing to, to kind of put in the time and the effort to get very, very well-versed in a lot of smaller fixes, and mechanical knowledge, it is truly a tremendous uh, series of disadvantages. And all the love to people who can make it work. I just can't even imagine doing that with another person. 
I mean, oh my goodness, when I see <laughs> when I see people on on social media that are a, a couple dynamic and they're living in like twenty five square feet, I'm just I'm just so awestruck and dumbfounded by that. I mean, that's a level of relationship I hope I can get to in my life. But man, I could hardly stand being with my dog in twenty five square feet twenty four seven. Man, I uh I have to imagine too you know, you move into this situation because you got some healing to do. Your foundation's been shook. I'm sure early in this camp life, camper life, you're not looking to date. There's a lot of wounds that need to heal first. But at some point in those seven months, you must be thinking, maybe you're out at a bar. You're like, oh, she's like, you want to go back to my place? And you're like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I should just warn you, though, there's a literal bucket of frozen feces. Uh, is that cool with you? That that is that is like a verbatim scene. Really, out of my out of my life. That like dating, also interacting with just different people in your community, right? I think even catching up with with friends or um, just seeing people that I regularly saw was always just kind of out the window because it'd be like, well, um, can I sleep on your driveway? Because <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> And it's like another level of awkward because it's like, yeah, they're not waking up with you on their couch, but they got a tank with a guy and a dog sleeping in it and parked in their half of their driveway, and they don't know how to tell me to go away. And are your friends worried about Are your friends like, man, he, he got the rug pulled out from under him on the relationship, and now he's living in a van with a dog in our driveway. Are your friends concerned? But I have to feel like, I mean, the stereotype in Colorado is that this is this would be less unusual than certainly where I live in New York, that it's a little bit more of the fabric of the lifestyle there. Sure. Yeah, I definitely have one friend out of, out of the many that I told about this that were all like, man, this is a great idea. Like, knowing you, you should do this. You're going to do great. <laughs> but I did have one friend after day three when I called him, and it was the land of darkness and icicles. <laughs> and uh, I, and he, he touched base with me, but he was like, yeah, I think this is the worst idea you've ever had, and you've had some bad ideas. And that was the one uh, person that now, if I ever have a a wild a wild ass idea, that's the person that I the friend I hit up and that, say, "Hey, man, is oh, this so how good. bad of an idea is this? I need your honest opinion." Isn't that he was the so only good to that find that friend? Early. When you find that friend in your life who's willing to go, like, "You're fucking up," sorry, Sally, but you're fucking yeah. up right now. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. When you get to a certain age and experience level in life where you're like, oh, I will hold that person so close to the vest because you need that person in your life. <laughs> you need that person. And I think, too, this is something that I, you know, the, the, the other men that I find myself drawn to for friendship, um, something that we have talked about and almost all of my close male friendships have been um, that as an adult, it is difficult to create meaningful, deep adult friendships with other adults Mm -hmm. um, as we get older. I've found that to be a little bit of a struggle and something that other men in my immediate peer group tend to run into as well. And, you know, we kind of, kind of tend to maybe shrink into or fold more comfortably into, you know, our relationship dynamics. But when it comes down to a lot of outside community and building that um, can sometimes be difficult depending on, you know, what your job is and what your personality type is and things like that. So that was also a reality of like not only being in this tiny 
horrible tin box and having trouble, you know, picking up a lady. Or you go on a Tinder date and say, hey, well, my house is right on the curb, so you want to come with it? But that, and also on top of that, like, just kicking it with homies, just finding a way to, you know, interact with people that involved in activity always instead of you want to just, like, kick it and, you know, eat some food and watch a movie at somebody's house because that meant I was always over at somebody's somebody's house and always imposing. Right. And then there's times where you can feel that they kind of just want to go to bed, but they feel like they can't because they're like, I don't want to kick him back to the broken down truck he's chosen to live in. Yeah, yeah. And you get to know these gyms around town really well. So, <laughs> oh, it's that stinky dude coming into. He doesn't have a workout, but boy, he uses about half our water every time he comes in. Yeah. And there's people who do that in New York, I hear. Sometimes you'll see, like, in the outer, bur- like, Queens, where I live, like, out in the deeper parts that are less popular, you'll see, like, an RV parked on the curb, and you start to realize, oh, there's people in New York City who have a gym membership so they can shower, and they're living out of an RV in New York City. It's wild. Yeah, that's nuts. That's another level. I wonder, and, in and some I mean, ways, it must be easier way. than what you described, though. Some, it's yeah, probably I mean, up and I down. I, if I was to ever do it again, I'm just a simple, I'm a simple dude. I mean, I don't need much. Like, I don't, as far as, like, water, like, just give me a jug of water. I don't need a water pump. I don't need a sink. I don't need a black water tank. And I don't want to mess with any of it. I'll poop in a bucket as long as that bucket isn't an actual flushing toilet that I then have to take a week's worth of Duke and find a place to dump it. Mm-hmm. And it was also bizarrely expensive. There's little things like, you know, dumping your, your waste cost something and the truck was insanely expensive to to fill up i mean if you're respect to every time i see somebody in f350 because you know they're filling up their tank for like 150 dollars worth of diesel that's taking them about six miles down the road before they have to fill up again it's just nuts i don't know why anybody would want a supercar efficient or a, a gas I was just going to say, I think for a lot of people who are like, respect to all those F-150 owners pumping $150 worth of diesel. I feel like any Colorado environmentalist, you would think the other people would be like, no, stop doing that. Stop pumping $150 worth of diesel. I hated it. I should have moved into a Prius. (laughs) Every time I see a Prius, I'm like, that's a reasonable length. For a person to sleep in the back. <laughs> That's changing how you look at all vehicles. You're like, can I sleep in that? Yes. Otherwise, I'm not interested. Yes, help the environment. Live out of an electric car when your life crumbles. Yeah. yeah. No, wait, I want to... weird-looking new Tesla truck rolls out. <laughs> yeah. That's that... the thing. Yes, where no one can smash your windows. Oh, wait, everyone can smash your windows. Now, oh, I... Wait. I... All you need is... <laughs> I got to ask yeah. you. I got to ask you, and I don't want to keep bringing it back to the painful part, but when you... No, no, right. So you get these screen grabs, and it sounds like there's probably been a bunch of stuff over the past two years where you're like, oh, this thing that made me think I was crazy actually makes a lot more sense now. What? What's that conversation like? When you sit down, is is your ex-partner trying to find a way out of it or, or trying to deny it at first? Or is it just like, well, the jig's up. Let me tell you that I have, I seem to, because it sounds like she had some sort of addiction type uh, issue going on. I would have to imagine. And what a good time to pause, because that's a cliffhanger. I bet we've all been wondering about that. 
how did that conversation go down? We're going to hear all about that and more when we get back. Check out the ads. Thanks, advertisers, for helping this show to exist. And now, let's finish off the phone call. It sounds like she had some sort of addiction-type issue going on. I would have to imagine. Yeah. There was definitely an interesting piece of, you know, how do I approach this and what does that conversation look like and how do we tackle that? So I ended up just calling her and... um, during that time to wrap the story up, she had not responded. And so for almost a month or two after I'd sent that text and was like, Hey, you know, I kind of knew what was going on and I've started to put this all together. Like, you know, said, said a lot of mean things and, and, uh, out of anger and hurt. And, um, she responded in kind and ended up getting very, very defensive as a result. And, um, Basically, we she just completely ghosted, and we didn't talk for almost another year Oof. and a half after that. Oof. Uh, but recently, and this this is a little bit of catharsis and a little bit of cleaning up in early 2020 that I've been really thankful for, and some healing that's come of this was I was on the old one of the old dating apps, and who do I see go by? Is uh, my ex's face. And Ooh. I remember kind of staring at it and deciding, you know, here's that opportunity. I actually laughed. Was my, re- my response was like kind of a crazy laughter. Where I was like, why is she back on here? And like, is she cheating on the person that she's now with? Like, what is going on? And I ended up swiping right, which means yes. And we matched. So I sent, she sent me a message the next morning that just said, uh, or no, I sent her one that said, well, and she wrote back, well, And then all I had was vitriol, Chris. I only had a lot of um, mean, not okay things to say. And so I ended up just writing a message of, I don't think I have anything nice to say. And we don't have anything to talk about. And I signed off and blocked her. And then about 10 minutes later, I got an email that was her apologizing and saying, I'd like to apologize to you in person and explain kind of what had happened. And again, I had all this you know, despite all this therapy and this actually had PTSD therapy and EMDR therapy and all these different things, despite all that, I was still carrying around. Um, I was surprised by how much baggage I had been carrying with me while I was moving through those, that, that following period of silence between the two of us. And so I'd, you know, begun to respond in this really negative kind of aggressive way and ended up sending this message back and then about 20 minutes later was just being eaten up about it and, you know, questioning why I responded so brashly and so quickly. So I wrote back like, listen, I apologize. It's my turn to apologize about that mean message. And maybe it would be cathartic to just spend 10, 20 minutes and watch you actually, you know, say I'm sorry in person. And so we did end up meeting up um, target parking lots are really a great place for emotional uh, upheaval. And so we ended up at a target parking lot and breaking some things down. And the thing that was helpful was, you know. Wait, why? Why a target parking lot? Why? You can't just save it. 
I don't know what it is. It's like the uh, the 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 standardization of it, if you will. I, like the, <laughs> the lights and the, just like the, you know, there's like the random gas station. There's at least one person eating a full meal in their car. There's one person smoking like three cigarettes in their car. There's just something nice about the fact you can just pull up in this public neutral zone that has no emotional attachment to it and just unload. Wait, time check. How much time do we have? We have 17 minutes left. I was hoping you were going to say, well, that just happened to be where my home was broken down at the time. It was the Target parking lot. <laughs> no, I had since I had since moved out of the uh moved out of the camper and and into a a smaller house. Nice. So you are living a in a house now. You have you have a home now. That's- I am in a I am in a brick and mortar structure now and I I love it. I love it. I love it in a way I never thought I would love it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I will say to wrap this story up that yeah. um, she did own all of the things that had happened. And I had this whole list of questions and mysteries about, you know, what was a lie and what wasn't because we never had that closing conversation of like, what, what was going on? Like what was happening? And um, she was able to kind of break that down and just sat there and, and stuck it out. And um, I think she had done a lot of growing and a lot of healing as well. So it ended up being a very healthy thing in the long run, albeit extremely difficult. I mean, there was a lot of, a lot of tears, still some name calling, but a lot of um, healing came out of that as well. Just being able to talk about, you know, specifically this scenario, like what was happening when, uh, you know, I, she called me up wasted one night and, um, told me, uh, that most of the things that she had been, um, kind of creating as far as like her dead grandpa or her car breaking down or, um, being stuck in a snowstorm on the other side of the state, all these just bizarre excuses and kind of elaborate lies about like what she was actually up to and what was going on or who she was with and, what, you know, all these little specifics of like, I just never found out what the answers to those things were. And it just ate me up. And it just was something I couldn't get closer on because I just had no venue to find out what had happened. And it was stuff I just couldn't get over because the lies were so elaborate and kind of replete. That's um, fascinating. Because that I guess when I think about it, when you're, when this is something that goes on so long, it's like, on some level, I think we can all imagine, oh, my trust feels violated. My heart feels broken. You must sit there and wonder, what is it about me that is inadequate? But but the all those things at the end of the day, I think, are heal a little easier. Because what you're describing is when, when something like this happens, it's like, oh, you actually, in an effort to to protect your own hidden behavior you let me think i was crazy you let me you let me think i didn't have a total grip on reality because things seemed so strange and you always had a reason and i sat there for years with this tenuous grasp on what was going on that that must feel really scary outside of all the romantic implications of being cheated on that is the most um concise reflection that has been thrown back at me since the story has wrapped up. And I appreciate you saying that it was scary as hell, man. It truly was like deeply disturbing. 
because there was just so many pieces of my reality that I was realizing were just not actually a thing. So many pieces of reality that I thought were a certain way, and then I found out that they were not that way at all. And that disturbance in facts is really upsetting and really strange as well. Um, and I actually, so I think I might be maybe more sensitive than the average bear. Um, something that I am also heading into in 2020, uh, is that I haven't spoken with my, uh, my birth dad in over 10 years now. Um, I actually extradited him out of my life. Uh, he had a history of cheating on our family and, you know, I still don't have the facts. But when I was growing up, he was a traveling salesman. And um, when my parents divorced, it was probably 10 years past due. But uh, it was primarily because we started to kind of, my, my mom and my brother and I started to piece together the fact that, um, yeah, that he had been not, if not cheating, but at the very least, um, you know, cheating, but maybe also had a lot more going on, like potentially a, an entire second family um, that he'd started about five years prior to their divorce. Wow. And, um, just that, just that complete mind blow and, and world flipping of kind of recognizing like, Oh, my, my father is not a good man. Like this is not somebody that I necessarily even want in my sphere or any of my immediate people's sphere. And, you know, he was quick to temper and maybe not the greatest human on the planet, but I think like the, the overlap of, what had happened with, with my ex and, you know, some prior traumas piled on top of each other. It was extremely upsetting in a way that maybe it wouldn't have been if it was just, you know, the single isolated event. I bet. When you say you extradited him, is that, are you just, is that just the word you're using or did you have like legal proceedings to remove him from your life? It's a word I'm using, but I, you know, I have, I've cut off all contact and mm-hmm. so is my, my mom, so is my, uh, my brother. And it's just at the point where, you know, we started to kind of put all these things together and yeah, just completely cut them out. So I've gotten two or three letters from them over the years, maybe gotten some emails that I've missed, but yeah, I've never responded to anything. And it's now been probably four or five years since I've actually, you know, heard anything from them, but that's, very much something that I'm interested in. Um, after the experience of kind of, you know, forgiving my ex for all these things and these lies and these experiences that we had gone through, the, the physical weight that was lifted off my shoulders was so tremendous. The feeling of lightness was just so real. And I'd read things and I'd heard things about what it feels like to really forgive somebody who would hurt you deeply. Um, and you know what that experience was like, but to actually experience it myself, like physically feel the weight lifted and the stress leave my body, um, over the course of the next two or three days of processing that conversation was so wonderful and overwhelming that that is something, you know, that, that forgiveness on those deeper levels is something I, I'm going to be looking at and hopefully we'll be, um, actually potentially driving through my, my dad's town um, where he lives in, on the West Coast um, in the next month. So I think I'm, I'm at the point where I'm going to be reaching out to him for the first time in 10 years to just wow. see if we can grab some coffee and see what that conversation looks like. Because, 
you know, if the, if the feeling of forgiveness from somebody who, um, you know, wasn't their best possible selves, uh, over the course of, you know, two years with me, felt like that, I'm seeing if that feeling of forgiveness was so intense and so light from just that experience. And I'm interested in starting to parse out what that conversation could look like with somebody who's, you know, helped birth me. That is what an intense turn this took at the end. That's what a beautiful thing to hear. You went through something very hard. It gave you actual PTSD that you needed therapy for, but taught you the value of forgiveness. And maybe at the end of the day, your ex has handed you this gift that'll allow you to kind of close the loop on an even more foundational relationship that needs forgiveness. That's I hope so, man. Huge. I hope so. That would be a that would be a a, a nice arc. I'm sure. A nice arc. And, but you know what? Even outside of like the arc and like writing the narrative of, of what it could be, I have to imagine, even just on a basic level, no matter how it goes, th- removing any like romantic fantasizing about what the story will become, it's like. The fact that you are now a grown-up who's been through stuff and handled stuff and learned how to deal with it and to go back into your dad's life now that it's on your terms as an adult, I think even if you wind up in a blowout fight where the issues don't get resolved, that's going to feel like you were able to take that sense of agency on your own in a way that's going to be gratifying. Even if Even if you're like, you know what, this went poorly and you didn't apologize for a thing. At least you're not a kid anymore wondering where your dad is. You're a grown-up waltzing into his town going, I'm here. This is not because you sent me an email. It's because I have decided it's time to sit down and talk. Just that alone sounds like taking a hot shower, you know? Yeah. Man, that was very well put. And I think that might have been the, uh, the little extra push and the little boost I needed to to kind of make this happen. So I think I'm going to be doing that. And I appreciate you saying that because that is, very much so something I'm thinking. I'm in my early 30s, yeah. and actually, I've got questions for you. I think about a lot about kind of the, you know, if you're breaking up your life by decades, so, you know, you're in your 20s, and for me, 20s was very much about, like, partying and traveling, just having the wiliest time I possibly can. I spent four years in my early 20s uh, hitchhiking around, freight train hopping around the country. Colorado in the house. That. Baby. I would love, loved. Good. We only have six minutes left. I've always been fascinated with the whole freight train lifestyle. Wish we, uh, wish I knew you got a lot to talk wild. about, man. Wild, it's wild. But now, now I'm in my early thirties, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm self-employed. I've got this job I really like, and, uh, you know, I'm in this house, and I got the, I got the tiny home junk out of my system, and I'm feeling, you know, starting to heal up, and. I'm looking forward at my 30s, and I'm thinking, like, what kind of what kind of man do I want to be? What kind of adult do I want to be? And in, in, if we're breaking up by the decade, I get to talk with with you in you know as you're <laughs> oh. as you creep up on 40. Oh so God! What advice do you have? Oh God! About your 30s that you could pass along to those of us that are just now beginning beginning this <laughs> slow journey towards the <laughs> towards no, the end. I 40 have... feels old. Okay. I'm not going to lie; it terrifies me, but. You know, I look around and I Jesus. think, like, you know, early oh, 30s also feels old and kind of terrifies me. But, you know. Now I'm flattered. I'm flattered that I would be someone time. you'd look to for advice. I am flattered. I do have to say, the fact that I have now officially become someone who people in their 30s look to me for the wisdom of the of the elders. 
This is an eye opener. So I also just want to preface this with like, man, I've followed your career for a while and I just really, Thanks, really believe man. in what you're doing. And I know people have said this on a lot of different calls, but really, truly, man, you're doing some Thanks, incredible man. stuff. Thanks, and, man. Uh, and I say that, I say that, you know, and I ask for this advice because I respect your work and I love what you've been building and I love what you've been doing. Thanks. And um, I'm asking for that more than, hey, you old crusty man, what do you got? <laughs> Which is also true because that's largely how I behave and grumble about my age at this point. I would say this, man. <laughs> Here's the honest truth is what I'll say is my 30s were significantly better and more fun and more interesting than my 20s. And I'm coming up on 40, and I hope that that continues. I think the, uh, um, how would I say it? Like, it, I think in your 20s and the first half of your 30s, you have this constant feeling of like, well, what have I done? And what have I accomplished? And what have I done enough? And am I holding up to the standards of where society wants you? And all those things. And my my career, am I making enough money? Am I making enough headway? Should I be married by now? Why aren't I this and that? And blah, blah, blah. And uh I just felt like in my 30s, I started to realize that all of those questions were sort of uh, artificial and imposed upon me. And they weren't actually questions I had about myself. And my 30s became the stretch of my life where I think I started honestly asking myself the questions that define my life versus my 20s, which was so much more about worrying about what everybody else was thinking. And then you realize, oh, nobody's worried. Nobody's actually worried about me. These are just questions we get from movies and from the way we're taught in schools and all the sort of uh, all the sort of standards that life imposes on us just because life does that. And the 30s, your 30s is when you finally get to go, wait, hold on. When I stop worrying about who everyone else wants me to be, who do I want to be? And answering those questions was so much more a gratifying process than I ever knew. And uh, my 30s, so much better and more fun and more gratifying than my 20s. Hands down. Being in your 30s is great. And you're physically, uh, that's what I'll say too. You're a guy who likes to climb mountains and, and, and whatnot. And I will say this is just genuine. Maybe it's a little cliche, but as I come up on 40, the one, one of the things, there's a few things. My hairline is starting to go really bad, worse than it already has been. So that makes me insecure. But also, like your 30s, you get to finally be a human being who's well-rounded and figuring it out for yourself, but you still physically aren't hurting all the time. I'm 39 now, and it's starting to become a thing where my back hurts every day. Like I jammed my finger four days ago, and I haven't been able to wear my wear my wedding ring because my finger is so swollen and just won't heal. So oh, no. your 30s yeah. are a beautiful middle ground where you have all the physical ability of your 20s and all the agency that will come as you get older as far as being in charge of your own life. Enjoy your 30s. Enjoy your 30s. Said with, uh, said with some real great. Yeah, Thank you for I that. Did my best. No, wait. When you're, we got two minutes left, but I gotta know when you're riding around yeah. on freight trains. Oh, this old, like, sort if of. If y'all ever get through on the Chris Gethard show, just know that it really does go that fast. This it, is nuts, man. I can't. Two minutes. What are you talking does. about? Two minutes. But wait, are you out there reading all the hobo graffiti and stuff and finding it, or is that like old school? Is that real? That. <laughs> oh, when you're talking talking freight trains. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by freight train people. Uh, 
Not so much the graffiti. Well, yes and no. So there's certain tags that different people have. So they'll put a certain sign or they'll put a certain name up. And when you are in it for long enough, so I freight trained hop uh, nonstop for two years. And during that time, you get to know people. Nobody has normal, uh, quote unquote, normal names that they were born with. The folks have names like Wishbone and Knuckles and, uh, and uh, uh, Chicken Foot and slime ball and uh-huh. you start looking for those tags when you're getting on these freight trains in different cities. Cause then, you know, you know that your, your community had been there, at least somebody that you knew or you recognized had been there, or, you know, you look for those little signs in different places you're hiding out while you're waiting to get on the freight train. Cause half the game is just waiting. And the other half is just sitting on the loudest vehicle you can possibly imagine trying to have a yelling conversation with the person that's on the next car up from you. Yeah. Trying and, to dodge uh, those yard you know, bulls so that you can latch on. Uh, it's real, man, and it's terrifying. I mean, you really got to get sneaky and, and be comfortable with folding yourself into tiny little spaces with an instrument and a backpack and another human an for instrument. a long amount of time. But, yeah, get, I used to travel with a banjo. You used to ride freight trains with a banjo all over the country? We're going to pause this. I'm going to give you a couple extra minutes because I'm so, I've always been fascinated by freight trains. I got a couple <laughs> questions. So you used to go sit yeah. in the yard with the banjo, dodging the yard bulls. Are you eating that, like beans out of a can over an open fire? How real is this as far as this uh, old school hobo well, lifestyle? <laughs> we can update. Let's update this, this, this view a little bit. So it was a bag of Taco Bell bean and rice. Burritos. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was a buddy with a broken accordion, a friend with a, a harmonica that he could play with his nostrils, uh-huh. and me on a banjo, and I could barely play six chords. And you better believe we can make some damn good music out of uh, out of an evening waiting for the freight train. So it was like drunken, updated 2020 Woody Guthrie dreams we were living. But man, they were good dreams. It was it was some good some good years. And from what I hear, some of the freight, some of the train employees, their job is to get you out of there and they can be real rough on you and rough you up. But I've also heard that some of the train guys are so into the train culture that there's a begrudging, not even begrudging, there's sort of like a quiet love of the culture where some of the train guys will actually look out for those people traveling. I will say we never, I never went into the larger yards and we're talking like a Kansas City um, being as that it's just this massive junction for the entire country, right? Like if you're a, if you're trying to move a load on a freight from West coast to East coast, you inevitably go through a St. Louis or a Kansas city. And those yards, man, they're miles and miles and miles and miles. Like if you end up on a train that gets buried somewhere deep in there, like there's no way you're getting out without somebody at the minimum seeing you and making eye contact with you. Um, and that's where those bulls, you know, the stories that I still hear, uh, every once in a while about, somebody getting caught, somebody getting beaten up, somebody getting arrested, whatever the thing is, it's always in those massive yards. But I never, to be honest, I just straight, I've never had the balls to go in those bigger <laughs> yards. So it's almost, almost exclusively small towns, little pickups, uh, places where, you know, it's called siding where a train will just stop for a little while. And oftentimes the engineer and the conductor will pop out and then they'll get a new engineer and a new conductor to climb in and then it takes the train on to the next stop about six to eight hours away. But, um, you know, those are the kind of places where, where, where I really try to focus and like specialize and get, get good at, you know, when they're leaving and how they're leaving and what kind of cars they have and maybe where they're going. And there is quite a bit of secret 
beta or oh. info that's floating around out there too, which that was an entire, I mean, truly inaccessible in an era where you can get on Reddit and pretty much find out, you know, anything that you need or like there's the dark net and find out the info that you need. But this doesn't exist as far as I know, except for oh, you know, I call word, oh. word of mouth. I loved it. Your whole story was fascinating. We could have talked about this for now. Any other freight train riders out there calling? Did you? I got one more question about the freight trains and then one more what? to end the call. Yeah. Did you never know about this sure. tag, Bozo Texino? Bozo Texino? That is not... There's, that is not ringing a bell. There's like this, what do we need to know about? Well, just this, there's these chalk tags on the freight trains, and uh, you know, it's some of the freight train graffiti is like what you think with spray cans, but some of it's just chalk markings. And there's a guy who, for over sixty years, has been writing his name Bozo Texino, and I've always found it very fascinating. Anyway, maybe someday we'll talk more about the train life. In the meantime, okay, so we've heard your story about lost love, heard about your dad used to travel with a banjo on freight trains for years. You lived out of a car, shitting in a bucket for seven months. You've climbed 50 mountains with your dog. You are clearly someone who uh, has done a lot of soul searching. And you said in the beginning, recently, uh, your dog is becoming famous. Final question. What did your dog do that made your dog blow up? What was it that you got on film that made this dog explode? Okay, so two, two things two things. First, I just couldn't help myself, and I just looked up who is Bozo Texino, and just so you know, there's a DVD out there that you can find and purchase. You could find out who Bozo Texino is. Yes, I've wanted to see that documentary called Who is Bozo Texino? It's a whole investigation into who could be doing this. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I've wanted to for years. Gonna be looking that up soon. And then the thing that he got famous for was jumping over things. So he's really, really Oh, good. your dog, not Bozo Texino, your dog. Not Bozo Texino, no, my dog. So he's really good at, uh, <laughs> that story would have been funny. Bozo <laughs> Texino gets famous for weaving over bike racks. So no, my dog is really good at urban barcore. Barcore, not parkour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's he's gotten uh, a little bit of love from people just watching them jump over planters and run along walls and weave through bike racks, uh, jump onto my back and do it, do it all kind of, of of his own volition by, by snapping or tapping my feet or pointing at stuff. And he'll just, he can just do it, man. And so, people have really enjoyed it. So you in times when things tend to be a little bit tough, I think, uh, I think a dog jumping over a wall is what we, what we all maybe need a little bit of right now. Your dad, your dad betrayed your family. Your girlfriend betrayed you. Living in a van couldn't solve it. You didn't find the answers you needed out there on those lonely roads, rails of America. You've climbed to 50 mountaintops and not one of those mountaintops contained the answer. And who knew it was all in getting a dog to jump over a big fucking flower pot? Who knew that that's <laughs> where the answers the lie? I'll also say... Getting on Beautiful Anonymous was truly the highlight of my year. I can't tell you how happy this made me. Thank you for everything you do, man. I mean, really, thank you. Thank you. There's a lot of us out here following you, and we love what you're doing, and I hope you keep it up. That's super nice. Yeah, thanks so much to you and your dog, and good luck with meeting your dad. 
and all and everything. Thanks for being honest, and I'm sorry that you dealt with that infidelity. Sounds really bad. And thank you for all your crazy stories. Thank you, Chris. You are the man. Caller, thank you. I hope everything goes well. Like I said at the end there, I really hope that conversation with your dad turns out all right. Hearing that, hearing your... Experience with forgiveness and how you were forced into a bad situation that taught you how to forgive. That was eye opening and really beautiful. And I hope it continues to unfold and that that goes really well. Thanks for sharing all your crazy stories. Much love to you and your dog. Urban Barcore is the future, everyone. Let's not forget. Thank you to Jared O'Connell and Anita Flores in the booth. Thank you to Shellshag for the music. You want to know more about me when I'm on the road and where you can get tickets to Beautiful Canonymous? ChrisGeff.com. Hey, if you like the show, go to Apple Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe. Really helps when you do. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. 